On average, you are 65% water, 17% fat, 17% protein, and 6% other. Uh, on average, that is. Or you can look at it another way. Uh, we are 60% oxygen, 20% carbon, 10% hydrogen, 3% nitrogen, 1% calcium, 1% phosphorus, and all sorts of other things. Basically, we're dirt and water. And we all agree on that, whether we're Christians or not. The question is, how did this lump of dirt get to go from being just dirt out there in the paddock and to become human? Evolutionists say slime plus time. But Genesis 2 says that we are dirt plus the hand and breath of God. We might laugh at slime plus time, but um, people who don't know God would laugh at the idea of us being dirt plus the breath of God. But that is what God is saying to us in Genesis 2. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. This morning we're thinking about these bodies that we live in. It's the third week in our series on Genesis. We're up to chapter 2, verse 4. Let's read it again. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. Uh, It's just about to say that God makes the man and yet there's no plants yet. That's a bit opposite to Genesis 1. Notice here it's not that there's no plants, it's that no shrub of the field, no plant of the field, no cultivated plants. And that's because there's no plant, no man to work the ground as we read on. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now there's a bit of a problem there perhaps when you first read it because people were already made back in Genesis 1. Why is God making people all over again? And of course, it's not that he's making people again. Uh, It's back at day six, but we're looking at it from a different view, if you like. Um, We're zooming in and looking at it from a different angle. Genesis 1 was all about God's powerful word. And he just speaks and creation happens. It's if we're way outside of creation, viewing it from in the heavens, hearing God's voice booming out and just watching it happen. But now we zoom right in up close. And this second time round, looking at the same event from a different angle, we see that there's some very important things to observe about us and about God. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're firstly going to think about what it teaches us about us and then what it teaches us about God. So us. The scene is set in verses 4 to 6. The action begins in verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Humans are made from the dust of the ground. We come from the earth. In fact, over in Genesis 3, God will say to Adam, after Adam has sinned, dust you are, and to dust you will return. We hear that at funerals, don't we? 
But we're more than just dust. We're more than just dirt because God takes this clot of dirt and after he molds it into the right shape, he breathes the breath of life into the man. An atheist will say that when we die, that's all there is. We just go back to being the dust and there's nothing more. I was reading an article by Philip Adams. He's an atheist. This was in the Herald. Uh, Part of it said, I believe that life is totally meaningless, that we have no destiny, no purpose, no author. We just are for a little while, then we aren't. Now, there's some truth to that. We are from the dust and we will return to the dust. But there's more than that. If you can stand at a graveside and watch someone get buried and not feel some sense that something's not quite right, there must be more, then you're ignoring something about yourself. Because Genesis tells us there is meaning, there is purpose, because there is an author. In fact, if we read on in the Bible, we get to the book of Job, and Job feels that tension. He's a human, he's facing death, his mortality, he's praying to God about it, and he knows that somehow it's not right that he should just turn back to being a lump of dirt again. Uh, you might want to look this up later, not now. Job chapter 10, verse 8. This is Job praying a prayer to God, and this is what Job says to God. Your hands shaped me and made me. Will you now turn and destroy me? Remember that you moulded me like clay. Will you now turn me to dust again? That's the tension, isn't it? In the book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, a great, rich, powerful king, had everything he wanted, everything in life, but he thinks there must be more. He's looking around trying to find meaning. He thinks there must be more to life than just work and the stuff around us. There must be something that goes on beyond after we die. And after trying all sorts of things, sex and work and knowledge, he comes to this conclusion in chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember him before the dust returns to the ground it came from and before the spirit returns to the God who gave it. In other words, his conclusion is we are mortal creatures. We've come from the dirt and we'll go back to the dirt. But there's more than that. And in this short time that we're here, we need to realize that there's a creator who made us. And because of that, we have a destiny beyond the grave. We're getting a bit, a bit ourselves, ahead of ourselves here. For now, back in Genesis 2, God wants to show us that we're creatures. We're created. We have God's breath of life in us, but we're not God. Because God is the other character in this part of Genesis, isn't he? There's man formed out of the earth, and there's God who makes the man. There's the creature, and there's the creator. And Genesis 2 has some particular things to teach us about God, our creator, compared to Genesis 1. And I think what stands out about God here is his closeness, his intimacy with creation. This is a very hands-on description of what God is doing. I mean, compared to Genesis 1, where God just stood back and he spoke and the world happened, here he's down forming the man from the dust, like a potter 
moulding the clay. That word formed is the word that would be used of a a potter, shaping clay. And then he breathes the breath of life into the man's nostrils. Ever had someone breathe into your nostrils? It's very close, isn't it? Uh, In verse 8, God does some gardening. He plants a garden. In chapter 3, God is walking in the garden in the cool of the afternoon with Adam. And Adam hears his footsteps. God is a potter. God is a gardener. God is a friend. And to emphasize this closeness of God with man and with creation, the word used to describe God changes in Genesis 2. In chapter 1, it's just being God. But in chapter 2, if you're reading carefully, you'll notice it is now Lord God. You might remember from our series in Exodus, that is the way the Bible translates God's name, Yahweh. From chapter 1 to chapter 2, we've moved from God to knowing God by name, Yahweh. This is not God watching us from a distance. This is God closely involved in his world. I think if you were to um, cremate someone and get their ashes and you end up with just, you know, a little cup of ashes, what would it be worth? A few cents, maybe a dollar. Maybe if they've got a gold tooth, might be worth a bit more. Is that what they're worth? The sum total of the elements that make up our body. I gave Jill a piece of dirt to hang around her neck, a rock, uh, probably 30 or $40 worth plus the gold that goes around it. But what gives it its value is not the how much the rock cost, but me, who gave it to her. And I gave it to her for our wedding anniversary. And what gives us as humans value is not what the elements that make, up, make us up are worth. What gives us value is the God who made us and loves us. We're not just dust with God's breath. We are creatures who are loved by God and who he wants to know. And if we trace that through the Bible, we see it most clearly in Jesus, don't we? Because it's not just that God was willing to come into this physical world in Genesis 2 and get his hands dirty and mould us out of the dirt. As we read on, we see that God is willing to become one of us in Jesus. God becomes 65% water. 17% fat, 17% muscle, protein, 6% other. God is born into a human body like ours. He lived in a body like ours. He died in a body like ours. But he didn't just die of old age like many of us will. God as a man was crucified by human beings who didn't want to have God ruling over them. He had nails driven through his hands and his feet, his blood poured out. And as staggering as that is, a very physical death, it's even more outrageous when we think who Jesus did that for. These lumps of dirt that God made and breathed his life into way back in Genesis 2, if we read on, they don't have the best history. In Genesis 3, the very next chapter, Adam turns against God and disobeys him. More about that in two weeks. Then Adam reproduces with his wife Eve. They have children who kill each other. 
And then those children multiply, the evil grows worse and worse, and by the time we get to Genesis 6, we are only six chapters into the Bible. God says, quote, He was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. That's the way humans have treated God. And how does he treat us in response? He sends his son to become one of us, flesh and bone, to rescue us, to die, to wash us clean. That's how committed God is to his creation. That's how much God is connected to this world that he has made. And because Jesus did that, because he bore in his body our sin, we can be washed clean if we ask Jesus to forgive us. Now, the Bible talks about forgiveness in lots of ways. It talks about having our consciences cleansed cleansed to purify us from guilt. The Bible talks about having new hearts sprinkled clean. The Bible talks about being declared right with God. But I think Hebrews 10.22 is particularly helpful here because it's very physical. It says that if we follow Jesus, our bodies are washed with pure water. I think that's what baptism is symbolising. It's very physical, isn't it? We have water going over us. Our bodies are washed. I think we're all very aware of our bodies in one way or another. For some of us, it's down at the gym, pushing our bodies to the limits. For some of us, it's living with a sick or tired or worn-out body. For some of us, it's piercing our bodies or tattooing them or changing our hair colour or being creative with them. For some of us, it's trying to make our bodies look better. For some of us, it's deliberately hurting our bodies. For some of us, it's being unable to control our body's desires and appetites. There's no doubt about it. We are very physical creatures. And we mustn't think that being a follower of Jesus is just some spiritual thing, that we come along here at church, we fill our minds, we say things, and it's somehow disconnected from who we are. It's a whole body life thing. And if we follow Jesus, our bodies are washed pure. I like that because often I feel like my body is dirty. It's done so many things that it shouldn't. Sometimes I love my body. Sometimes I hate my body. But whatever I think of my body, Jesus thinks that it's worth dying to rescue. When I became a follower of Jesus, this body was washed clean. And whatever else your body may be, broken, sick, thin, fat, strong, weak, black, white. If you're a follower of Jesus, your body is one thing, clean. Whatever you've done with it, whatever other people have done to it, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's clean. And it is ready to serve him. Jesus washes our bodies clean 
from the stain of sin. That's not all, though. After Jesus died, like every other human being who ever lived, we all will die, but Jesus' physical body was raised to life. And Jesus is now seated in heaven, and he promises that we who follow him will get a new body. In the meantime, we wait, and we serve him with these broken, worn-out ones. And I don't know where your body is during the week, but wherever it is and whatever it is doing, you can serve God with it. Being a Christian is not just some spiritual thing for Sundays. Monday to Saturday, wherever your body is, you you can serve God with it. As As I started reading through the Bible about this, there's lots of stuff in the New Testament talking about our physical bodies and what we're to do with them. Romans 6 says, Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer the parts of your body to God as instruments of righteousness. James says, Be careful with your tongue. Don't use it to gossip. Proverbs says, Be careful with your eyes, especially fellows, what you look at. Proverbs says, Be careful with your ears what you listen to. 1 Thessalonians says, serve God with your hands. Don't be lazy. Work with your hands. 1 Corinthians says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. 1 Thessalonians says, each person should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable. It matters what we do with our bodies. Some people say it doesn't matter so much what you do with your body. It's the spiritual that matters. We're getting new bodies anyway. These ones are going to wear out. We are getting new bodies without any sin. That will be a good day. But in the meantime, we need to serve God in these ones. It's a bit like baby teeth and adult teeth. When you have baby teeth, they're going to fall out, but you still look after them. You still care for them, even though the adult ones are coming. Because your baby teeth have a job to do in the meantime. Plus you want to get into good adults, good habits for your adult teeth. We're waiting for our new bodies. But we still have a job to do in these ones. We need to serve Jesus with our bodies. Now if there's no God, if we are just dirt, then you may as well enjoy yourself. Give your body as much pleasure as you can before you return to the dust. That's how a lot of people live. But you're not just dirt. You were made by God. You were given your life by God. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given new life by God. And you've had your body washed clean. And so what makes most sense now is to live your life serving the God who made you. So let's do that this week. Let's offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God this week. Let's serve him with our hands. Let's serve him with our feet. Let's serve him with our knees, our lips, our eyes our minds. 
Let's serve Jesus this week with our whole bodies. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these bodies that we inhabit while we're here on this earth. For all the senses that you've given us. For the pleasures. For the way that our bodies are designed. Father, thank you that you've given us life. And Father, we confess that we haven't used our bodies always in honour of you. Father, we pray that we pray that you'd forgive us and we confess that we've chosen to use our bodies for evil rather than good. We've used our tongues to say bad things about people. We've followed desires that are dishonourable. Thank you that Jesus forgives us. Thanks that he washes us clean. Father, we pray that you would transform our minds as we read your scriptures, but that it wouldn't just stay there, that we would be people that live differently because of what we know about you. We pray that we would serve you with our whole bodies. And we pray that that might be evident to the people around us this week by the decisions that we make, by the things that we do. We pray that we would bring Jesus honour. We pray that we wouldn't live as people with no hope, but the way that we live would be a testimony to Jesus and eternal life. We pray these things in his name. Amen.